Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Good morning again, everyone. Hello, hello. My name is Tyler, and again, we are so glad you're here in this special space uh, this morning. Before we get going today, you should know something, and that is that we're doing things a little bit differently today at City Church OTR. So what you're about to experience is not a typical experience for us. This morning, we're actually going to launch right into our message. So I'm getting ready to start in like T minus 10 seconds, right? It's beginning today. We're going to launch right into our message. And then once that wraps up, we're going to have an extended time of prayer and response. And there will be different stations around this room to do that reflective work. More news about that coming soon. But this is not how things generally unfold for us on a Sunday. But I am convinced that this will be a great Sunday. And if this is your first time with us this morning, I think you've picked an outstanding time to check us out. Because this morning, we're going to be evaluating a big decision that every one of us has to make. Have you ever had to make a big decision, like a decision about maybe where to live or who to live with or what job to take, just a a big decision that has reverberating effects and consequences? Have you ever had to do that? Anyone ever had to make a big decision? Uh, I did recently. uh, I had to make a decision that carries a lot of weight and has a lot of consequence. Here's what happened. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, we purchased a house, and I had to decide what color to paint my room. And y'all, it was a big decision, uh, a bold decision. I went so, so, so bold when it was all said and done. I chose a dark emerald green. Uh, technically, the label says it's called Rainforest. And it's one of those colors that like, once you get going, you know, there's, you know, there's no going back. And so I gathered a bunch of people to help me paint. We're painting this big room that we have on the top floor of my house where I live. And as it's going up on the wall, I'm just asking myself, it's like, man, do I really love this? Do I love this? Because I've got six gallons of paint. And there's people here to help me do it. But man, this is like a bold color. This would be hard to cover up. Have I made the right choice? And there's an author named Tim Kreider who writes about this phenomenon. He writes about those moments when we evaluate our lives and we look over our decisions and we ask ourselves if we're on the right path. And Tim says for him, this happens when he runs into old friends, particularly friends who knew him from his childhood, uh, friends he hasn't seen in years or decades. And when this kind of run-in occurs, he says it's not long before each person starts sharing details of how life's turned out. You know, they're telling stories of relationships that have begun and relationships that have ended. They're talking of children's raised, of promotions earned, of vacations taken. And then Kreider says something else starts to take place, that when people run into folks who knew them from way back when and they're talking about life, we start to compare a little bit. We get into a comparison game and we start measuring our lives up against those people that knew us way back when. 
right? If I'm honest, I've done this myself. You see, there were people that like knew me when I was young and had all kinds of choices, but as I've gotten older, the choices that are available to me, they narrow. You get on particular paths, right? That's true for all of us. You can be whatever you want when you're a little kid, but then in life, as you make some decisions and you decide this city, not that city, this role, not that role, this person, not that person, you get on a path and now it's like, man, I'm pretty far down this road. It'd be hard to change now. And so you run into someone who knew you way back when and you're like, man, did I make all the right choices? Have I gone the right way? Did they go the right way? Did they choose a little bit better here? Did I choose a little bit better there? I mean, as we interact with those people, it's natural for all of us to start thinking about how they turned out and how we turned out. And as we notice the differences, we ask ourselves, did I make the right choice? Have I messed things up? Have I made the most of this precious opportunity called life? I mean, the truth is today that we've all made big decisions. We've all made decisions that have impacted our lives. And from time to time, we all need to pause and evaluate our choices. So today, as we turn to the biblical text, we're going to be invited to evaluate some of our decisions And we're going to examine them, the choices that we make through choices made by the ancient Israelites. In the next few moments, we're going to read a historic account from the pre-modern world. And we're going to explore an episode from ancient people, God's people, the Israelites. And we'll be dropping into their story at a particularly distressing moment during a period of great conflict and turbulence. It's the 9th century BCE is where we're going back. And in that time in, the, in Israel, uh, they've come to live under a king named Ahab. And Ahab's like an evil king. He's told the Israelites to reject their heritage, to reject God. And so the book of First Kings, it's an Old Testament book that we'll be studying. It's filled with the account of the messages that come from this prophet named Elijah. Elijah is a prophet that God sent to Israel while Ahab's ruling so that he can try to get them back on the right path, right? So that he can remind them of God's love for them and God's care for them. And as we engage this text this morning, I think it's important for us to keep in mind some of the things that we've already thought about this morning. We need to remember that God's people, Israel, are a lot like us, that they made choices, and that those choices shaped the path that they were on, And that they didn't want to make bad choices, and so they were open to evaluating their decisions. And specifically, the choice they made, they decided because of pressure from their neighbors to worship uh, this god from a neighboring country called Baal. And so they add this Baal worship to their religious practice. And even though Baal was this cruel deity who demanded child sacrifice from his followers, which is terrible, they decided we're going to go ahead and add this on to our standard religious practices, right? And so this prophet comes along from God to try to get him on the right path. His name is Elijah. And this morning, we're going to engage a narrative where Elijah wants to go up and contest against the prophets of Baal. And as we go along, we got to remember, Israel's a lot like us. We're a lot like Israel. And my hope is that as we engage their story, we might learn just as they did that the God of the Bible, the God of their forefathers, the God who told them that he alone is God, is good, and powerful, and worthy of trust, and worthy of worship. 
But I just don't want to tell you that. I want to show you for yourself. So if you'd like, you can join me in 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18, we're going to start at verse 19. And let me set the stage while you're making your way there. 1 Kings 18. So again, we've got Elijah, this prophet, who's been sent to woo God's people back to God. And Elijah had made a decree, before it will read today, that it wasn't going to rain in the land again until God gave the word. So he said, no rain's coming, and then once you know it, the rain dried up. So they're in the middle of a drought. And then God speaks to Elijah, and he tells him, hey, remember that whole drought thing? Well, it's happened. I've showed up, and I've stopped the rain, but now I'm ready to make an even bigger statement. So you need to go and present yourself to King Ahab, meet with him, and when you get together, I'm going to display my power, God says. I'm going to do something that no one will be able to dispute. And so in 1 Kings verse 18, uh, or in ch- 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 19, Elijah, he's come to Ahab, he's met with Ahab's servant Obadiah, and he says to this servant, he says, now, now that we've met, now therefore, send and gather all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel. Right? This is a significant place. And 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table, he says, bring them to me because something's about to happen. Uh, In the words of the philosopher Kesha, it's about to go down, right? Uh, And so Elijah's saying, you need to bring all these prophets of Baal and Asherah together, and we're going to settle this dispute once for all. We're going to see which God is God. Is it the God that you know, the God of your forefathers, or this new God who's entered the scene, Baal? And so Elijah says, make sure everyone comes. Bring all the prophets, right? The people are thirsty. A drought's going on. They're going to be curious what happens. Let's all get together to this place. And so verse 20, Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. And then the big day arrived. And in my mind, this feels kind of like college game day, right? The penance are out. There's anticipation in the air. Everyone has gathered. The people of Israel has showed up. They're tailgating, right? Baal and Asherah's prophets are over here stretching, getting ready. Ahab's there. He's got VIP seats. And Elijah arrives, and he says to the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And this, friends, I think is the first vital text or vital lesson from the text this morning. Elijah made sure everyone from Israel was gathered to hear it. And this morning, we need to tune our ears in and hear this fundamental tune afresh. Okay, when it comes to what's most important, when it comes to choosing who or what will have our ultimate focus and commitment in life, we have just got to admit that our attention cannot be divided. It's impossible to have split opinions. Only one thing can be ultimate for each of us, right? Only one thing can be ultimate for each of us. Because Elijah, he calls all the people of Israel together and he asks, how long are you going to keep living in this fantasy world? How long are you going to keep pretending that you can split your loyalties between the God that you once knew and Baal? How long are you going to try to convince yourselves that you can have it both ways? He says, you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a choice. If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal is God, follow him. But quit lying to yourselves. Quit quit pretending that you can have a little bit of one and a little bit of the other. That's not the way it works. See, when it comes to ultimate things, when it comes to meaningful things, when it comes to things that really, really matter, only one thing or person can be ultimate. 
When we vacillate and waver, when we go back and forth, we, we fool ourselves. We tell ourselves that we value or that we worship many things when in fact we worship nothing. Because to worship, to place something in the spot of highest honor in our lives, to worship is to say this matters most. That this, above everything else, is what's truly important. This is what deserves my devotion. This is what deserves my attention. This is what deserves my best and highest energy. And friends, in our option-obsessed culture, in our unique period of history where we have more ability, I'd argue, than any other humans before us to straddle the fence and remain undecided and to try one thing one day and another the other day, we need to hear this message that to worship is to say this matters most. And whatever matters most in our lives is by definition what we worship. We can really only worship one thing because the time will come when a conflict will arise between the two. One thing that we worship will want one thing. One thing that we worship will want another thing. And when that happens, uh, that it'll just prove that you can't have split opinions. You've got to ultimately pick. One will win out. That's just the way it works. And Elijah knows it. So he calls Israel together and he says, how long are you going to keep pretending? How long are you going to tell yourselves that the God of your forefathers and this God named Baal can live side by side? He said they can't. They're fundamentally different. And you've got to choose. And the Israelites, they know that Elijah's got them. Indeed, look at the end of verse 21. Uh, It says, and the people didn't answer him a word. And I just love it because that's what I do when I'm like caught, you know? You just get real quiet. Anybody else? I'm not one of those like rise up and retaliate. I'm like, oh, let me think a bit, right? So the people, they didn't answer him a word. They're sitting there in silence. And while they're doing it, Elijah issues a challenge. He says, here's what's going to happen. The prophets of Baal are going to get a bull, and I'm going to get a bull. And we're going to butcher these animals and get all the various stanks and flanks and roasts and that. We're going to get them all laid out, right? And we're going to place them on two separate piles of wood. Okay, but this is not a barbecue. Then each of us are going to summon our respective gods. The prophet of Baal, they're going to reach out to Baal, and I'm going to reach out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Elijah says, and we're going to see which God can start a fire. And this is going to be a way that the gods can tangibly demonstrate their power. And the people of Israel said, hey, this sounds good to us. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, why don't you go first? And so they took a bowl and they prepared it, the text says, and then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. And then they limped around the altar they made. And three hours pass and nothing happens. I mean, despite their loud cries, despite their passionate prayers, despite their vigorous dancing. That's the part I always love to imagine in the text. They're doing anything to get their God's attention. But their meat remains on their wood unseared. And so Elijah senses an opportunity, and so he decides that it's time to talk a little trash. And he says, and I'm paraphrasing now, uh, 1 Kings 18, verse 27, but he says, hey, why don't you get a little louder, right? I don't think your God can hear you. Perhaps he's busy reflecting on his porch, right? He's sitting out on a porch swing. Or maybe he's taking a little nap and needs some rest. Or perhaps he's preoccupied in the bathroom. And you can see that joke for yourself in verse 27. Elijah literally suggests that Baal is busy on the toilet. And this cracked me up this week because I live with a three-year-old who cannot get enough of poop jokes. 
And so she and Elijah would have so much in common, right? So he's talking trash a little bit. They're working so hard. They're trying to get Baal's attention. And nothing is happening. Elijah suggests that Baal cannot hear his prophets. And so in response, they get even louder. And they start marching around the altar with renewed vigor, trying to get Baal's attention. But that doesn't work. And so the text says they get very, very desperate. And they begin cutting themselves, hoping that their blood will catch Baal's attention. Okay, this is a cruel, like demanding God who causes people to harm themselves, right, to get his attention. This is, this is heartbreaking. And after all this effort, and after all this noise, and after all this desperation, and all this extreme behavior to try to prove that they're loyal followers to Baal, they hear nothing and they see nothing. Baal never comes. All right. And then in verse 30, Elijah invites all Israel to come near. Right, this is him saying, okay, scoot up. Uh, you're about to see something pretty cool. And he builds his altar. And Elijah digs a trench around his altar, right? And he instructs those that are helping him to fill four large buckets of water and to drench this altar with water, right? And then he tells them to do it again and again. So three times, they're like splashing water on this meat. It's filling the trench around it. The trench is more like a moat now. Everything is wet, right? He's raising the stakes. And then verse 36, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O oh Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. So answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know you, O Lord, our God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And once you know it, but in that moment, God shows up. And the text says that the Lord sent fire and it fell and consumed the meat and the wood and the stones and the dust and the water in the trench evaporated. And when all the people saw it, verse 39, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. See, in this head-to-head -head contest, Baal is exposed as a powerless God an unresponsive idol. He's a God who cannot see or hear his people. He cannot answer them when they're in need. He cannot respond. In this head-to-head -head contest, Baal's powerlessness is put on display. Just as the power of the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is demonstrated beyond all doubt is being the only God able to respond, to intervene, to consume wet wood and holy fire. You see, the point of this text is that Baal is nothing, but now as a result of this remarkable display, the people of Israel are once again reminded that the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, cool story, bro, uh, but what does this mean for us? Right? What are we to do with this ancient narrative? There's so many questions in my head, Tyler. Why are you bringing this up this morning? Well, here's the two things that I'd love for us to focus on in the remaining time we have together. I can think of two things that are very important questions that we should ask in light of this text. Uh, the first thing we need to realize is this. We need to be reminded alongside the Israelites that we cannot worship multiple gods. 
Because again, worship works by saying this matters most and all else is secondary, which means you can only really worship one thing or one person. That's just how it goes, and we have to come to terms with that. Only one thing can have that ultimate place and priority in our lives. It, only one thing can be that which we treasure above all else, which means, and this is the heart of our time together this morning, that we need to evaluate what we worship. We need to evaluate what we worship. We need to decide if that thing or that person or those ideas that we've made ultimate in our life, we need to decide if they really deserve the place that we've given them in our lives. We need to decide if what we've oriented our lives around is truly worthy of being at the center of our existence. Because there are so many things we can worship, there are so many things we can place at the center of our lives. Right? I mean, living in the United States at the time we do, I say the easiest thing to place at the center of our lives, the easiest thing to worship is money. Right? It is money. In our culture, I'd say that for so many people, myself included from time to time, right? it places money at the center of our being. Other things that are easy to worship in the United States at this time, I mean, power. Who doesn't want power? Sex. We worship our children. Oh, we worship our work. We can worship efficiency and in so doing neglect the fact that sometimes love or people are messy. We can worship safety and in so doing sometimes forget the fact that what's most important in the world, what's most important work for us to do might actually put us at risk. I mean, we can worship the opinions of others, living our lives for the applause of friends or coworkers. We can worship ourselves. We can make everything in our life resolve around, or revolve around our needs and our desires and our next manicure and our next massage. Oh, that sounds so good. There are so many things we can worship in our culture, so many things we can put at the center of our existence, right? But what's true is that only one thing can occupy that spot. And sometimes we can carelessly give it away. And sometimes, like this morning, we have the opportunity to evaluate what we worship. And so I'd like for us to spend some time together actually doing that work to evaluate what we worship. But to evaluate what we worship, we really, we just need two things. I mean, first, we need to identify what we worship, right? We need to identify what, what we worship. What is that thing that, like, is at the center of our lives? And then once we identify it, we need to ask, is it really worthy of our worship? Um, and when I say we need to identify what we worship, I mean we need to identify what we really worship, right? Not what we say we worship or what we wish we worship, but what do we, what do we really worship? What really has that spot in our lives? And so I think to ask or to be able to identify what we worship, here's some questions that can help. A great way to think about that is to say, hey, what do I keep in my calendar no matter what? Right? Does that help me know what I worship? Where do I spend my money? Does that help? What or who gets my best attention and energy? What do I think about in my spare time? What gets me most excited? Well, like right before bed when I'm drifting off, what's the last thing on my mind? I mean, is it work? Is it more free time? Is it financial status? I feel like for a little part of my life, I used to live for the weekends. Now with COVID, you can't really do that. Or vacation, right? Can't really do that either. Right? But what is it? we're thinking about what is what do we truly worship 
What are we building our lives around? I mean, you, know, you owe it to yourself to know the answer to that question. And in just a few moments, we'll all have some extended time to dive into that question more if we'd like. But once we have a better sense of what we worship, then we need to evaluate what we worship. And here's some evaluative questions. If we're trying to think, okay, this is what my life's built around. This is what I've placed at the center. This is what is like getting my best attention and my best energy. Now we need to ask, okay, is this worthy of worship? And here are some questions that can help with that. Can, can what you worship, can your God, can what you've made ultimate, can it, can it hear you? Can your God hear you? Can your God answer you, whatever it is? Can your God answer you? Can your God make you new? Can your God hear you? Can your God answer you? Can your God make you new? Because here's what's true. Baal couldn't hear his followers. No matter what they did, he remained silent, and he had no ears, he couldn't respond. Right? Baal didn't answer them. He couldn't react. He leaves them powerless and exhausted at the end. Right? So can your God hear you? Can your God respond? Can your God make you new? Baal doesn't rescue any of his followers. He doesn't come through on their behalf. He doesn't bring about any real transformation in the life of his prophets. He is powerless, empty, and utterly worthless as a God. But what about what you truly worship? What about your God? Can your God hear you? Can your God answer you? Can your God make you new? And maybe most importantly, does your God love you? Does your God love you? Does your God want what's best for you? Does your God just want you to spend more, make more, do more, be more? Or does your God have your best interest in mind? You see, church, at the heart of this story's, or this morning's story is a head-to-head competition. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob versus the Canaanite God, Baal. And in this matchup, as I'm convinced would be the case in any matchup, Israel's God wins decisively. He demonstrates his power. He answers when he's called. He meets his people in their need. He's a good God who loves us. So friends, you can't worship multiple gods. It's not how it works. Why not worship the God that can hear you? Why not worship the God that can answer you? Why not worship the God that has the power to make you new, who loves you more than you can comprehend? See, when we got started this morning, I told you we'd be doing something different today. And right now, as we've already done, you're about to experience something that isn't typical for us. This is an atypical Sunday at City Church OTR. So we've got the message out of the way. Great, check, okay? Right? I know for so many folks, it's like, oh, finish line. We've made it, right? Now we have some extended time to respond. Okay, for the next 25 minutes in this room, you have some options. Around the room and in your seats, there are different spaces set up to you for you to respond to what you've heard. We have these stations prepared. So maybe you saw these tables when you came in. There's like little paper there and some pencils. There's space to journal. I know some people are big journalers. If you want to go up and be in a different spot and journal under those cool lamps, you can go and you could spend however much time of this next little choose your own adventure time we have, you could spend some time journaling, right? And processing what you've heard and thinking about what you worship and is this the thing that's worthy of my worship? Or you could draw some pictures up there. I don't care. You've got some time and some tables on the stage. There's also an option. Sometimes we said, okay, a God that can hear you. Sometimes it can be tough for us to hear God. And as you know, if you've been around this community for a while, we do believe that God still speaks and that we can hear him. 
And so if you're interested in even hearing from God, Chris and Catherine, Chris is uh, a co-pastor here with me, and Kat's like my personal pastor who I learn everything from, uh, Chris's wife, they'll be over in this kind of area uh, behind Corey in the pink sweatshirt, and they're like willing to pray and listen to God on your behalf. We call it sometimes like prophetic prayer around here, but it's like, man, that'd be really helpful. I'd love to maybe hear something. They're going to be open to help you in that process for these next 25 minutes. You got communion when you came in. Uh, At our church, we believe that the Lord's table is something worth doing. Every time God's people gather for those that follow Jesus, it's a meal that reminds us of Jesus' body broken for us and his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so that's available if that's something you want to take on your own or with those that you came with. The band will be up here leading so you can sing along. You can pray in your seats. I'll probably be back over in that corner. You can pray with me. But here's the idea. We wanted to switch things up just for this Sunday and pose the question, hey, what do you worship? What has that place of greatest priority in your life? And is that worthy of your worship? And then we wanted to give people plenty of time to think and process and evaluate. And so that time is starting here now. So I'll ask the band to come up. This is a special moment, and friends, we said even before that when we started with the morning invitation that this space is a unique space. You don't get many spaces like this, do you, where you can just come and be and take your time and there's no need to be in a hurry and you can do what your soul needs, right? Out beyond these walls, we're always tending to what our to-do list needs, and I love a good to-do list. I'm an achiever at heart, but in here you have special space to attend to what your soul needs. So may you take this time, may you treasure it, may you feel the freedom, don't worry, no one's going to watch you if you go to the journaling station, no one's going to think you're weird if you go and want to pray to Chris and Kat, I mean, anything you feel like you need to do, you've got time and space to attend to what your soul needs and how God is leading you, all right? This is precious time. This is a thing that more people I know wish they would do more frequently, so let's do it now together and think about what we truly worship and what deserves our worship.